Coming up on your Novell Open Audio, it's going to be a long-distance call to Prague in order to speak with Jacob Steiner of the Tango Project and find out what the Tango Project's all about and what it's doing for the Linux desktop. We've also got Randy Goddard and Dave Mayer coming in for news from support. It's all coming up right now on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I had an interesting weekend this weekend because uh, something happened with my blog, which is reverendted.wordpress.com. I posted an entry just showing some of the new navigations that Novell's been working on, Nat Friedman's team has been working on uh, for the GNOME desktop, and didn't realize that the entire Linux community would pick up on my one blog entry. I actually rose up to the top in the lists and beat out Scoble, so I mean... There's small feather in my cap. Scoble was very gracious about it. Now he's back at the top again, and once again, I've returned to nobody status. But my 15 minutes of fame showed up, and I'm happy about it. But this happened, and I, I think I might have tickled the fancy of a few people in the GNOME community and probably ticked a few people off as well. And that's just on time because I'm about to head to Villanova, Spain, to the Guadec Conference, which is the GNOME Users and Developers European conference, and this will be an opportunity for me with the mobile recorder to talk to a lot of different GNOME developers, a lot of people who have been involved in the project. Going to get to see the guys from Lug Radio there as well. If you want me to interview anybody specifically, I can do that. Just send me the requests to openaudio at novell.com, and I'll see how many of those I can round up. I'll be FTPing those back to Mike as here in the Novell Open Audio World Headquarters, where he will be uh, stitching them up into a few different small episodes, similar to what we did during BrainShare. So send in those questions if you have any. Uh, I, I didn't realize also that uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop was going to make such a huge hit on the net, but it's, it's starting to happen. We're seeing just about every couple days now, there's a news story that rises to the top on DIG. There's uh, the CRN, Computer Reseller News, uh, article that came out recently, a few other things. I talked to Adam Dockstater from uh, Mad Penguin. We had him on the show a little while ago. He says he's currently working on a full review of SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop 10, and he's targeting this coming weekend, which will be, I think it's uh, right around the 24th or so. He'll probably have that on the Mad Penguin site. So check that out. Watch for it, because that's going to be a pretty big one. Uh, he's, he does very thorough reviews, as some of you uh, know. Hey, there's one other thing we wanted to mention before we start in with our interviews today, and that is that the SUSE Linux Enterprise 10 first class training is now available. And the reason I put this on Novell Open Audio is because there's actually a kit to this. It's uh, The full class actually comes to you preloaded on a 40 gigabyte USB hard drive. And this is pretty cool because it takes you through how to configure the GNOME desktop, getting into things like how to configure Beagle and stuff like that. It also gets into some of the multimedia capabilities with FSpot and those kind of things. It goes through Open Office a little bit. It covers the Network Manager, which is the thing that allows you to use VPN, allows you to use uh, secure Wi-Fi, including WPA access and stuff. I just blogged about that recently. And it gets into also things like XEN, AppArmor, and those kind of things. All of this is in the $199 kit at novell.com forward slash training. And I'll put a link on that in case there are some of you who are interested in this. This will be a jump start for getting into SUSE Linux. Good way to get going on it for those of you that are interested in it. 
And one other thing to mention, for those of you people who are members of Novell Users International, there is going to be a discount for Novell Users International members. You go to newenet.com and you'll find the discounts there. I'll link directly to the site on training off of this episode of Novell Open Audio. I know that's kind of like a commercial on Novell Open Audio, but I thought this one would be of interest to people. Coming up next week, we should have an episode of Novell Open Audio covering the Bandit Project, which Jeff Jaffe recently announced. Jeff Jaffe's Novell's chief technology officer. Pat Felstead is one of the guys primary on the Bandit Project, and he's going to tell Aaron Quill and I all the things he told us in the last interview, but this time, I vow to you, we will get the interview on air. It won't get corrupted. So let's check out what we've got with this show. I mentioned we got Jacob Steiner from the Tangle Project. The Tangle Project is a pretty cool project of bringing really cool-looking icons and things into the GNOME desktop and the KDE desktop or any applications that might be out there. But I describe it probably not nearly as well as Jacob will himself. So, Jacob, how's it going? Thanks for asking. Thanks. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us on the phone. And we want to talk about the Tango Project, and maybe you can start this with a quick overview of what the Tango Project is all about. Okay. Well, I'll actually start about what the Tango Project is not about, because we get a lot of uh, people thinking that the Tango Project is about creating a a single theme, icon theme that, that unifies uh, all the, uh, uh, the, the, that's unified across all the free software applications. That's not quite what the Tango project is about. Um, we created or started the project to solve a problem uh, for uh, the, the user and also for a uh, ISV or application developer who would want to create an application for the uh, what we would call Linux desktop, but of course, you know, it, it may be more appropriate uh, to call it free software desktop because you know our um, graphical environments also run on on other uh, uh, kernels than than the Linux kernel. So uh, the problem is that that uh, um, when you uh, start your typical uh, desktop session as a user, you're using applications from different projects. There's, there's uh, you know, communities around that, and you, you start your browser, which typically is the Firefox browser. You have your um, word processor, which typically is uh, OpenOffice Word. You have I don't know, um, uh, photo editing, Aspot, uh, or GIMP. Uh, you may be uh, you know, editing or, or uh, laying out your uh, product brochure in, in a DTP program like Scribus. And each of those, because uh, um, each of those uh, programs comes from different communities, they all look and behave differently. And we wanted to um, define some sort of, uh, or spec out some uh, guidelines, uh, what an application developer uh, should make uh, their application, or how, how their application should look like. Uh, so it's not specifically that we're trying to create a 
huge icon theme that anybody would be able to just take and, and use. It's more about defining a neutral style that would work for everybody. A uh, secondary goal to, to, to that uh, style would be because there's many uh, applications, uh, free software applications that run on different platforms, such as Microsoft Windows and, and uh, Mac OS. Uh, so the secondary goal was to make the style not very unique so that uh, applications that follow these guidelines would not look alien on uh, platforms such as Windows and Mac OS. So I hope I uh, managed to sum up what Tango is about. So in a, if, I, if I look at it from an end-user perspective, the things that, uh, that I see a lot of times if I just use whatever distro that uh, may have been pulled together through various means, a lot of times uh, the browser, the office package, and then third-party apps like Skype or whatever, every one of them has its own theming, every one of them has its own icons, and this is supposed to help unify that is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, let me ask this one then. Is, uh, is the work that's going into Tango, it, you, you said it's kind of generic, so it should work across uh, between other platforms like Windows and Mac as well. Does that mean that there's, any, uh, that there's not a specific desktop like on Linux, like uh, KDE, GNOME, or Enlightenment, or anything like that? Is it, is it supposed to be generic across those? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're trying to step away because, um, like, uh, until now, we didn't even have, like, a strictly, I mean, a specifically defined style for GNOME, even though we've been, you know, drawing icons for, for, for years. So we, we sat down and thought that we should probably extend the, the human interface guidelines that we had and define the style. And then we realized that, that you know, users will be running applications or are running applications that come from outside the GNOME project. So while we would, you know, make something good that would make applications, GNOME applications, look consistent, uh, it still doesn't solve the project we, uh, problem. We, we would still have applications that would, you know, look weird. So we try to go one level away from that or up from, from this and try to, you know, have or target free software, uh, graphical interface, uh, software applications, and not just, uh, you know, GNOME-specific stuff. And besides icons and things like that that are part of this, that, that theming side of things, what other kind of things? Like, I, I've heard things about uh, maybe uh, common naming conventions and things like that. Can you give a little light on that? Well, yeah, initially we thought that uh, we, we wanted to make the Tango project a bit broader than just, just uh, icons. But, you know, we're not that many people, so we, we, we thought we we're going to go, you know, one step uh, uh, forward. So it's at this, at this time, it's pretty much about icons. So the, even the naming spec is there to, uh, to make it easier for, uh, uh, for, you know, different desktops to, to uh, um, have a common uh, look in terms of icons. Because, uh, you know, when you start naming uh, your icons the same way, and that also applies to uh, the used metaphors, um, it's, you know, it's going to be easier to just have 
or ship a single team and it applies on on applications that come from different projects. But it's still mainly the Tango project at this stage is still mainly about icons. So these are these are other goals for the project over time that we may get into as as we can try to build community around it. Yeah, and get we more we hope we're gonna you know. Um, deal with, with also behavior and not just the, the looks of applications. Now you have, um, you have the uh, tangoproject.org wiki that's out there with a dash between tango, tango and project. We'll link to that from the show so people can check it out. But I noticed that the I- actual icons themselves aren't really on the Tango Project wiki. They're out there in CVS, correct? Um, yeah, we had uh, like... Uh, Last week we uh, finished the move to uh, to a different hosting that that we used. So at, you may have caught the the tiny little uh, time frame where we didn't have the the list of the icons uh, online, but they should be there right now. But the thing is, it's not the most important thing about about the project. We the uh, the Tango base theme, as we call it, or Tango icon theme, is only a uh, sample implementation of the of the style guidelines. It's something we didn't just uh, like magically woke up one day and and, and knew how to create a uh, a style that would uh, work on all these platforms and solve all all, all our goals. So we wanted to have something to to like a proof of uh, concept that that the the guidelines work. Oh so so the the icon library that is there more shows what the guidelines actually uh do so Yeah, it's it's like you can use it. I mean uh when uh to the Linux uh, enterprise desktop is going to ship, it's going to be using most of of icons from this library, but it was mainly to to see how the how the style would look on all these different platforms. I mean, we have um, we started to apply because now it's pretty clear that I mean, not it's pretty clear, but uh, we think that uh, we kind of um, uh, solved the goals that we that we wanted with with the style, and uh, we now started to apply the style on, on um, different uh, projects. So now, for example, uh, Andreas Nilsson, uh, one of the uh, contributors to the Tango project, uh, made quite a huge, I mean, big uh, contribution to the Scribus project that I mentioned earlier, which is a QT application. Uh, it's used for, uh, for DTP desktop uh, publishing. And it's now using the Tango style icons in trunk, and there's effort now. We're we're almost done to style uh, the GNU image manipulation program uh, based on the the style guidelines. So uh, we're applying the style on the application themselves as we speak. All right, right on. Um, so these uh, the stuff that is out there, when people start creating, uh, say, a, a library for the GIMP, you mentioned the new, new image manipulation program, when those icons get uh, go out there, are they contributed back into the Tango library so that they become part of the base library, or do they become like a... Yeah, yeah. We have a we have a, a side project uh, on the Tango website, which is uh, which is called uh, Tango Art Libre. It's a like.
like a set of icons meant for uh, graphic editing applications like uh, GIMP, uh, Inkscape, or Blender, uh, the Diva uh, video uh, editing tool, and, and stuff like that. It's meant to not only uh, like share resources because uh, you know you wouldn't believe it, but such a tiny artwork, and when you multiply it by the by the uh, different resolutions, and then the number of items, it grows quite considerably. But also um, uh, unifying the metaphors across the application, you would want the same tool uh, or similarly behaving tool to have the same icon across these applications. Like a print button or something like that should be consistent. Yeah, exactly. They're like you know, there's a crop tool that should have the same icon across all these. Got it. So uh, if if those uh, if the Tango Art Libre stuff is out there and these uh, and the base icon library is out there as well, if somebody just just wants to use those in a distribution that they're rolling of their own, is that possible? What kind of license is uh, this stuff put under? The uh, the Tango base library is actually a Creative Commons uh, attribution share like license, which it turned out uh, uh, some distributions have problem with. Uh, supposedly, uh, um, it's not possible to ship uh, Creative Commons attribution share like uh, licensed artwork with GPL programs, uh, but. All the rest, the uh, Tango Art Libre, uh, the, the GIMP stuff, the Open Office stock is GPL or LGPL in uh, in case of uh, Open Office. But the 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 Creative Commons uh, share like uh, we're we're in talk with with uh, Novell Legal, which are supposed to get back on us um, about that. So. Uh, uh, I can't really, because I'm I'm not a lawyer to to really uh, uh, analyze the, the the problems that Debian Legal came up with. But, but the main uh, point is, it's being worked on right now. It's, yeah, exactly. you guys are working it out. Yeah, great. Uh, so, what's the reaction been from uh, like various distribution makers, whether they be community distributions or corporate distributions? Well, the distributions themselves are kind of like more in the camp of using. Uh, icons as as a mean to brand their product. They don't see it much as uh, a, a usability tool. I, I mean, an icon is supposed to, at least in my view, is supposed to convey some message faster than just a simple text label. So uh, what they don't really, because the, the problem with that approach is that uh, when you have a unique style of your icons, you got, you better do a pretty you know damn good job of theming everything on your desktop, which I haven't seen a distributions which would pull off that thing. Yeah, probably like Ubuntu might be one of the closest, but even there, you find a lot of things that just don't look like they fit. Yeah, the thing is that that uh, you still can brand your distribution just fine and still follow the guidelines. I mean, nothing prevents you. That's actually what we do with. With uh, Novell, SUSE Linux, I mean SUSE Linux uh, Enterprise Desktop or SUSE Linux, we uh, have the, you know the the more uh, the most uh, visible stuff like the folder icon are all 
uh, you know, custom. They're not the, the base theme, but they do follow the the style guidelines. So okay, uh, have any other distributions picked up the base library or any of the other libraries for inclusion? Uh, I think there's some distributions that ship the Tango base theme by default, but uh, I should have looked before. I don't really, they're not one of the major ones, though. Okay. So uh, what about um, companies or entities like people outside there in the community? Yeah, there was actually a, a very, very um, interesting uh, um, mail to the Tango artist uh, uh, mailing list asking for somebody to work on on a uh, tango style guide uh, i mean style guide um, uh, compliant icon theme for for uh, houdini which is like a 3d uh, big 3d uh, uh, application suit so that that was the, like the biggest the biggest uh, uh, proprietary vendor interested in in the style guidelines. It's funny because uh, when you said Houdini, I, I now I don't know what Houdini is, but my audio guy over here he he just suddenly looks around the monitor uh, and he he says to me, "Oh yeah, cool." <laughs> yeah, and they they actually managed to find someone, so some somebody is going to be working on that. Great. So, um, how about contributors outside of Novell? Is, is, has the Tango project uh, managed to get some people from outside Novell? Yeah. Well, actually, the, the the project itself has been kind of started by by an external person. We, you know, talked about um, you know setting up or unifying something, sharing resources with uh, with uh, Stephen Garrity, which is one of the Firefox guys. And also with Garrett Lazage before he joined Novell, uh, so that the, the project itself started uh, to you know share resources among uh, different entities because you know everybody was doing their own stuff. Uh, but we also have quite a few uh, um, contributors. I mentioned uh, Andreas Nilsson. There's. Uh, Alapo Calamandre, another artist, but we also have like people that don't really uh, contribute artwork, but are still valuable. You know, making sure that uh, the theme works well on KDE and stuff like that. So it's not a huge community, but uh, we're happy. It's so, but it is not just a Novell thing. It's yeah, actually definitely. got some people from outside. That's great. Um, if you're it, you're probably looking always to grow the community around Tango and get more people involved in it. What kind of areas do you need the help in most right now? Well, um, it would be nice to uh, to uh, you know get the word out to actual application developers because it, it, that's what's important. I mean, when when applications start to follow the guidelines, then we're happy. I mean, of course, that means that we got to have either artists contributing, but, you know, you can, you don't have to have a, uh, a uh, like in the case of, of uh, uh, Houdini, you can pretty much, you know, get somebody to, to draw your artwork. Uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a community member. Uh, but the result 
result will be that the user gets a consistent experience on the on the desktop. And that probably matters a lot, in uh, especially when you're going to have your applications running on not just Linux. It would help for Linux, but it would also help for if you're going to be doing cross-platform apps, maybe on Mono or something like that, so it's across the platforms. Yes, exactly. Uh, we, like... Um, Except for uh, uh, Scribus, there is no uh, no not uh, uh, you know Tango style applied in uh, Trunk elsewhere. But we're really close to getting GIMP um, use the the style, and I'm really uh, I uh, managed to to uh, to get a glimpse of how how that uh, how that's going to look on Windows, and it's it's much better. Uh, you know, it's looking much closer to a Windows native application, especially with the with the, what's it called? Uh, there's like a GTK uh, a theme that uses native Windows widgets. I can't recall really, but anyway, it really looks like a n native application. So I'm excited about that. So yeah, definitely for multi-platform applications, going Tango makes much sense. Okay, and uh, on that, uh, just a side question before I ask you my last question, and that is, uh, how's Open Office doing as far as that goes? Because it seems like that would be a huge one. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's been uh, when we started doing that. You know, we because uh, when I spoke about uh, Open Office being a different project than than the other applications that you're on your desktop. We actually the the Novell version of Open Office that that we ship in our products does not ship with the uh, original upstream artwork, which is more like uh, Windows 95 styled stuff. So we uh, we recreated a icon set together with uh, of course Michael Meeks, who's been you know hacking all the stuff in, and Thomas Quasman and, and me. We we created a set. That would uh, look uh, that would look like a GNOME application, and it took us I don't know six or seven months to do. But with uh, having all the all the metaphors in place and and pretty much um, it's pretty much using the same perspective, uh, I've I've. Um, I can say it's never, you know, it's ne it's not a very precise number, but I think I'm like 70% done with uh, restyling Open Office in uh, in the Tango style. So it's not going to take uh, too much longer. Great, that sounds that sounds like it's going to be really good. So let's let's conclude with the last question for you, and that is, uh, how does somebody find out more? How do they get involved? If there's artists or ISVs or anything else out there that wants to get more information about Tango, and maybe get 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 into it right so uh pretty much all the crucial information is on our website which is um uh, tango.freedesktop.org uh, there's also uh you know the old tango's uh, dash project.org um, and we have a mailing list uh tango artists uh, there's information how to subscribe on the website and we also have uh, uh a IRC channel, which we you know hang out at and and we discuss, um, you know if somebody has problems of interpreting the, the star guidelines or or stuff like that, which is on uh, on Freenode. Also, all the information how to join that is on the website. Great, thanks very much for joining us on Novel Open Audio. Well, thank Jacob. you. All right, thanks a lot. Bye bye.
And that wraps up our Tango Project interview. Let's check out now what's going on with support. Let's bring in Dave Mayer and Randy Goddard. All right, we're back for news from support, as if you couldn't tell dun, by dun, the dun. beautiful music going on in the background here. <laughs> um, Dave Mayer is with us. Randy Goddard's with us. Guys, what do you got for us this time around? Got a great bunch of stuff. Obviously, the usual batch of tids, and Randy and I want to cover a few little things about uh, making archives. All right, take it away, guys. Well, run through the tids quickly. Uh, I noticed uh, when I was looking this week, there is a huge number of tids and uh, uh, documents regarding ZLM and GroupWise that have appeared in the last week alone. So I'm not going to cover all of those, but if you're using them, uh, Zen Linux Management or uh, GroupWise, go have a look at the uh, tids in the last week. There's a lot of interesting ones there. None of them look too serious, but there's so many of them, I just couldn't pick the, the highlights. Something new that's been published, the Unix Information Tool, it's a bit like the tool that uh, we in support provide for uh, getting uh, uh, configuration information from a system. Unix IF, uh, it gathers Unix and Linux system information and Novell product configuration files, for example, eDirectory. So that's one that you might find support asking you to run uh, as well as the... Uh, Config shell script. Would a tool provide. like that be good for uh, doing like some self documentation of systems as well? I mean, could you actually like pull a whole bunch of config stuff off and put it in your documentation book and tell the boss, yes, we're documenting? Well, interestingly enough, that falls into the, the realm of the thing Randy and I were going to talk about. Yeah, um, it's a good plan to have that kind of information available. The config shell script gathers so much information that putting it back into place from the, the shell script. Uh, output might take a long time, but at least it would give you a good record of the kind of things that we need to look at. And if we need to look at it, you can be pretty sure that rebuilding the system is going to require it. Well, and it's a good way to get a baseline for your systems as well, so that you know, oh, wait, I set up this server three months ago. How did I partition all of these drives? And how did I use any volume management with it and so forth? And so the config tool that we provide, as well as I imagine this uh, Unix IF would, would be a good idea to have on hand and to, to have just in a binder somewhere. Okay. And and multi-server so environments where you compare two servers by comparing the config from them both, because we output the, the data in the same format each time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'll make the note right now to people and remind you that <clears throat> there is a news from support page that we actually update every time Dave and Randy come into the room with us here. And we'll have that linked from our show notes off of Novell Open Audio's website at novell.com forward slash open audio. And continue. So... There were a few articles, three of them, three TIDs, on troubleshooting uh, the OES, uh, Open Enterprise Server, uh, Service Pack 2 patch process. One of them describing how to apply uh, Service Pack to an online update server. But there's a little catch-all TID, uh, 10100002. Which will be linked. Yes, of course. <laughs> and... Uh, well, you mean you can't remember that? Well, like it, was, it was almost <laughs> something in binary. Yeah, if it was binary, you wouldn't have the problem. Um, so that, that uh, TID has um, links to three other TIDs that have uh, good information about uh, uh, troubleshooting SP2 patches. Cluster service stops working after applying patches. 
the first time you update from a channel using red carpet or rug, and this was actually a call that came in to me. Um, after installing a new server, all patches are downloaded from the channel. Due to a change in the cluster services RPM, an older package is installed, causing a file mismatch, even though the RPM database shows NCS is up to date. Updating the cluster services CLI, that's a command line interface package from OESSP2 Media, corrects the file mismatch, and the issue is resolved for any future channel updates. So that was kind of an interesting one that came in to me. Um, my cluster doesn't work, and I've got this old patch. When I update it, I keep getting the old patch on reboot. Another one that came in to me, Linux guests unable to communicate via the vSwitch on IBM Z series systems. It turns out that uh, an IBM patch was needed to address an issue on uh, ZVM 4.4 and the IBM patch number is 1034, uh, correction, 10334. Uh, you can get that from IBM's support site. But, of course, we'll provide a link to the Novelted, and from there you can get a link to the IBM site. That was an interesting one because when the customer called in and I, I took the call, they were describing communications problems, and the operating system was behaving as expected if the cable was detached. And uh, it didn't look uh, on the surface like um, an OS problem, but uh, obviously the OS is the place where you're seeing the problem. So the first instinct is what's wrong with Linux, what's wrong with Netware, what's wrong with Windows. And this was a good example of a case where when we look at it, it it's got to be a lower level. We go out and look at the hardware and, yeah, there's a patch that fixes that one. That brings up a question for me, though, real quick. Um, from you, from you guys' experience in support, how much Z series do you guys get called about? I mean, is it fairly is it a fairly well used platform at this point? Or I don't get a lot of it. Not I mean, from, I think of it a couple during the year. So I, far. I think our frontline team seems to handle a bunch of it because you know Linux is Linux for the most part on any platform. What when they do call us, it's something specific to the Z-Series platform. And, and I think we get a substantial amount. I'd say probably a good, you know, maybe maybe a good 20% of wow. the calls that come in, 15 to 20%. So there's quite a bit of Z-Series out yeah. there then because, I yeah. mean, it's it's not that the software has has more issues on Z-Series, right? No. It's, it's, no. it's that there's enough people using it, and it's pretty serious. And it's becoming more and more prevalent out there because of the ability to use a VM, a virtual machine, on this platform, you can have potentially, you know, tens if not hundreds of virtual machines on one box. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool to hear because just from, from my geek angle on things lately, it's I, I haven't talked to many customers who are, you know, running the big iron systems and stuff, so it's it's cool to hear that there's actually, you know, SUSE was the first platform to bring, or first Linux platform to support Z-Series, so, I mean, that's you nice. You don't dress like you'd run in mainframe circles. No, no, but I am wearing sandals today. You might, you might notice that. I don't have the ponytail, but I got the sandals. No pocket protector. No pocket protector. The, um, just, uh, just for anyone who's using a mainframe, these are um, not intended to be offered as uh, fact. Um, anyway, the 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 thing about um, most of the calls that do get escalated to is the vast majority of them are PC based, x86 based, and Randy and I work in uh, backline support, so calls come into frontline and the more serious ones get escalated to us. And the reason we get most piece, uh, mostly PC calls, I think, has to do with 
PC platform having the most diverse set of features in use. Because there are so many PCs out there in the world, the set of features that are exercised in Linux is greater on PCs than on any other platform, and as a result, that's where we see most of the escalations. And if you're going to be on Z-Series, you're going to be on tightly, config tightly controlled configurations of your hardware, so that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Okay, what else? One more that came to me, OpenSLP will not register services with DA. This, this was a case where customer was migrating from network to Linux. They had a network DA. They switched over to Linux DA, and all the network servers would uh, register with it, and within 15 minutes, they would no longer be registered. The uh, DA would end up showing no... Uh, DA is what again? Forgive me, uh, directory agent. All right. Um, and it turns out to be a simple configuration file, uh, OpenSLP service location protocol. Um, net.slp.active net DA detection if it's set to false. Um, so if you comment that uh, option out, then it will fix that problem. That was another bizarre one because uh, SLP is SLP. If you switch from network to, to Linux, it's got to be something on Linux, but it's, it's not clear from traffic, for example, that the network server isn't behaving itself. Customer was doing a complete migration from network to Linux and doing it in stages. And uh, at the stage where they switched over one of the servers, the one that was hosting the directory agent, this problem started to occur. So if you're having issues with service location protocol uh, as you make migrations over to Linux, look for that TID. Yep. So I'm going to leave it there from the TIDs. Um, Obviously, if you go to the support site, uh, there's a lot of great documentation there. I, I could have printed out four or five hundred sheets worth of TIDs before yeah, maybe, coming maybe over Maybe we today. can put a couple of the more interesting ones that you didn't get a chance to hit into yeah. the uh, news from support section again. And uh, so what do we got next? So one of the things I, I thought it would be good to cover, um, I, I had a hard disk fail in a network server at home. Hard disk was just at the end of its life and started to uh, show corrupt sectors. So... Knowing I had to recover data from it, I pulled the drive, thought, well, what do I do? I don't want to do anything invasive. Um, and for a long time, I've used a little uh, Linux Live uh, CD for doing disk-based recovery. It's called Recovery as Possible. There's a lot of great tools, um, particularly NTFS ones, for example, uh, for undeleting files, where it's proved invaluable to me in the past. So there's a utility that comes with most Linux uh, versions called DD. It allows you to duplicate one file into another file. Um, it's data dump or something like that, right? Yeah, I should have opened the man page to get the proper name for it. I just think of it as DD. Um, uh, as I'm sure most people who use the platform do, you get to that point where it's LS. It doesn't you know, need to have more of some, a name. Some Linux nerd was thinking of foundational <laughs> garments at the time. <laughs> so, um, so DD... Um, can take uh, two parameters, input file and output file, and it will duplicate the contents of the input file to the output file. So dd space if equals some input file and of equals some output file. Now let's remember, devices have files on Linux. Blog devices, disk drives, slash dev, slash hda, slash dev, slash sda. You can duplicate a disk into a file dd space if equals slash dev slash hda of equals slash dump of my hard disk. Um, so a file gets created containing a sector image of the hard disk. I did that four or five times with this faulty hard disk. Then I uh, ran a repair, a sector read-write, uh, until 
Uh, there were no errors reported on the drive, but I still had what I hoped was uh, one or more good images of the hard disk. And that would have been really nice to have, because on one of the SUSE Linux Enterprise desktop betas, I ended up having a drive no longer mount. Uh, it was a riser, riser partition. Wouldn't mount, and I had just saved a file to it that had gotten corrupted and, or lost. That's, that's, that's where the problem began. So I did this repair, this riser repair tool, and... Um, didn't realize it, but my drive was actually having some physical part, physical issues on it, and uh, the riser repair tool wouldn't work. It stopped mounting, and all things well. I think I think the proper term is hell in a handbasket. <laughs> it it just I ended up losing all my data off of that, and uh, you know, of course, calling calling our help desk. Oh, you're using the betas? Yeah, that's uh, it, there. There might be a tool out there if you do some searching on Google. Hey, wait! I need help. <laughs> So um, I'd recommend the DD not be used uh, to duplicate entire hard disks in enterprise environments. But if you've got a, a desktop hard disk of a reasonable size, great way of doing an archive of a critical disk, use DD to dump it to a um, USB plug-in drive and uh, take it away. You've got a great backup for you the rest. You can also do a DD to an ISO, can't you? Well, what you get is an image file. So if uh, you took uh, an input device that was um, in ISO 9660 format and used DD, what you would get out of it would be um, an ISO image. Mm -hmm. But you can't take a hard disk and just uh, uh, use DD to turn it into an ISO. Right, right. So um, I've used it at home. It's proved to be very successful. Just like to add that um, I have a lot of data that I, that I can't afford to lose at home. I use uh, an external USB disk now, a pair of them, uh, with a USB chassis. IDE disk, plug it in, do a backup to that disk, unplug it, take it to, to the bank, plug in another disk, do a backup to it, and then week to week swap the disks over. I'm actually archiving somewhere in the region of 300 gigabytes of data at home. <laughs> All right. So DD probably not best for the enterprise case, but as Randy's uh, uh, going to say, there are some great applications for it in the enterprise. A very easy and a very quick um, solution for having, again, maybe a backup of or a baseline of your server is to DD the master boot record of your your drives in a server. That way you have a backup of, of the MBR. If something ever happens to that, um, you've got this, it's only the first 512 bytes that you even need to worry about. So you can use DD to specify a starting point and an ending point on your drive or on a, a device, as it were, and copy that to a file. Along those lines, another thing that uh, would be good to have is maybe a backup of your partitioning scheme, fdisk-l, and just email that to yourself. Um, another little bit uh, would be if you're using any sort of volume management, LVM or EVMS, a VGconfig backup will print out um, all of the UUIDs as well as all of the sizes and the block sizes for your, your VMs, and then you can email that to yourself as well. Now, you do realize you guys have to write this into a TID. What's writing? <laughs> writing into a TID, a suggestion of, of uh, possible uh, well, I mean, you just disaster recovery. a whole bunch recovery. of great commands out there, but I mean, a lot of our a lot of our listeners may not want to have to keep rolling backwards and then trying to figure out was that a slash B or a slash D. Uh, yeah. Ted, Ted, mortals need not apply. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave now. <laughs> what else you guys got? 
Well, I was going to say, um, this reminds me of something that came up at a brain share I attended a few years ago. Um, sometime in the past, I worked a lot on Novell's backup technologies, and someone came to me at BrainShare and said, why doesn't Novell publish um, a sample disaster recovery plan? And I thought about it for a moment. My first instinct was, well, what would it say? For any simple case, for a real disaster the most likely outcome is that no one's going to come to work. They're going to be looking for food and water, in which case, what does disaster recovery plan even mean? Randy uh, spoke last time about a technology that I've forgotten the name of. DRBD. DRBD. That's something where you can put your disaster recovery plan in a different state. Yeah, I think you guys are thinking of disaster in much greater terms than a lot of network administrators will think of it because disaster can be as simple as, you know, Server hard drive exploded. completely died or, you know, you know, backup tape truck got... Server shelf fell over. Exactly. Mm. On network administrator. Th- th- those are disasters in, in the network administrator. I mean, the search for food and water. Right, but I mean, I, I think that anybody who... I don't think that it's helpful for anyone to publish a disaster recovery plan for failed servers as an example for someone else to follow. That's something that's only really applicable at the um, individual level. It's environment specific. But on the other hand, you go up to big disasters, of which we've seen several in recent years, then uh, there's some major planning that is really worth doing. But if the planning assumes that people are going to come to work, it's uh, probably not the best plan in the world. So just a little little word of advice that came to my attention when I thought about it is, yeah, so... It's great. You've got the planet sitting on the shelf. You've got all the spare hardware. It's sitting on the shelf, but no one's there to install it. Now, what did Randy do at BrainShare? Because there think... was something related to this. I was, I was in the lab. We, uh, we had a, a... Oh, that's super. So it wasn't relevant. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not specifically relevant to this, but maybe a different podcast we can talk about what we did. We had a great little application of real-world uh, technology and kind of applying to old-world resources. We are so far off course right now, aren't we? Well, I was just thinking that, you know, applying uh, x86 64-bit PCs to the horse and cart, it can't happen soon enough. (laughs) And with that, we say (laughs) thank you for tuning in to News from Support. And that's our show. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by your friends at Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. And all of our content on the show is suggested by our listening audience. Today's Tango interview, for example, was suggested by one Jorge Castro, who I owe a shirt to. T-shirt coming to you, Jorge. Remember, you can go to www.novell.com forward slash open audio and rate any one of our shows. You can also put in your comments on any show. You can see what topics are coming up, and that way you can send in questions for any of the people that we're going to be interviewing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Oh, you're still here. Oh, that's cool. Um, so there's been a couple of you that have let us know about audio quality things and stuff, and uh, we're hoping that this edition, we've bought a couple different pieces of equipment here, and we're hoping that that's going to fix a couple things for us. And uh, if you heard this message, you might want to go back into some of our show stuff going from a little while back and look at some of our MP3 files and watch for some of the tags in there because there actually is a hidden message in one of our past episodes, sort of like this one you're listening to now, only in the actual lyrics section of the MP3s. And nobody's found it yet. And there's a T-shirt hanging out there just waiting to go for you. Seriously, this time, that's our show. We'll see you next time.